0: Welcome to Fluence, reasonable feminism for reasonable people. We discuss the issues women face, why they matter, and possible solutions.
1: Happy International Women's Day! We're excited about today's episode with Frida Lee Mock. She's an Academy and Emmy Award winner, and she's an LA-based director, writer, and producer of documentary films in 2019 she received the american film institute guggenheim honor and the international documentary career achievement award and she has received numerous best director awards she recently directed ruth justice ginsburg in her own words which premiered the first week of march to kick off women's history month and i had the chance to watch ruth and really really enjoyed it it tells the story of how Ruth Bader Ginsburg couldn't get a job despite making law review at Harvard and Columbia Law Schools, and yet became the second female justice of the Supreme Court. We're so excited to have this conversation. And Frida, can you start by telling us a little bit about your story and how you got into documentary film and eventually directed
2: Ruth? Well, I'm based in uh, Los Angeles County, Santa Monica. And I got into documentary films, just uh, the idea popped in my head. Really, I I just woke up and said, I'm going to do documentary films. After having studied history and English at Berkeley and thinking I would be maybe a teacher or uh, an attorney. And I I did uh, try uh, law school, which I did not like. And I tried teaching high school, which was so uh, amazing, but extremely difficult, I said and so somehow the idea of making documentaries just sort of came to mind and i feel that it probably combined sort of the interest i had from college you know i was interested in american history and the muckrakers you know folks who were interested in exposing corruption and um, in the same way i felt maybe my doing documentary films would be in that spirit of trying to um, you know be on the side of the good guys so to speak the yeah. And, and to really do something that would embrace the good life, so to speak, the humane, uh, equitable life. And that, that seemed to be a kind of uh, an instinct. So I I started working in, in the business in L.A. And uh, I started a company with my husband. And, and here I am doing films, which are both uh, self, self, self-started. I'll get an idea and say, OK, I, I, I'm going to I want to do this story. And um, some of the earlier films like Maya Lin, which uh, is about the woman who designed the Vietnam veterans memorial and did major, major work in terms of public art, the civil rights memorial. I don't know if you saw that, but she's very inspiring, you know. And then the other part of the the work I do, people come to me and say, would you like to do, would you like to, are you interested in the story? And this is the case with Ruth. Uh, Actually, Gerilyn Dreyfus from Salt Lake City and Regina Scully, who is a major, major supporter and executive producer for documentary films. They both are, they work together. They both came to me and said, would you like to? Do, would you be interested in doing a film on Ruth? And I, I jumped at the chance. I did know a lot about her. I knew as much as the public did that she sits on the Supreme Court, uh, but her notorious aspect of her personality, the iconic popular side of her hadn't been, actually had just started when I started the film back in 2017. Yeah, so I didn't know that much about her. So that's how this film started. And wow. uh, yeah, thank you very much for looking at it.
0: No, we we're well, thrilled to have you. Yeah, and it
1: was incredible. So, so give the audience sort of your elevator pitch for the film. Then, how would you describe it in like thirty seconds?
2: The audience has an opportunity to hear from Justice Ginsburg. In her own spirit and in her own words and her own voice. She tells her story as opposed to experts maybe telling you about who she is. And that's a, a very uh, distinct approach to the story. Yes. And so I think it's a very intimate feeling that the audience has with her because she, as you know, she talks to 10-year-olds the say way she talks to 80-year-olds. I mean, in terms of the public, you know, she I feel that she's talking to you, even though she's talking to an audience of maybe 30 or 300. Her tone tone is very inviting. Uh, And so that's why I felt after looking at a lot of material about her in her early years, I I was struck by this quality and how she would meet 10-year-olds or interact with a clerk in a a symposium. Uh, It was very much a engaging you as a, as a person. There was that quality. And I felt that the audience could feel that and feel the, both the humanity about her and also the powerful intellectual qualities that she would bring to a, a, an issue or in, in this case into her work as a justice and as an advocate in the, in the 70s.
1: Yeah, I really loved it. I thought it was such a unique approach. You know, I've seen several documentaries now about RBG, but it felt so different. And I'm curious what inspired that approach of letting her tell her own story and telling it in her
2: own words. Uh, it's a great question, because when you start on a, a project like this, um, it's pretty superficial what a public person like, you know, a consumer or a citizen knows. And so it's almost like a blank, blank page or tablaroso rosa you call it, you know, just like open. Uh, and so generally, this project, and like many, I, I just sort of approach it like like it's I, I don't know much, you know, and I'm just taking it all in both in terms of intellectual material, you know, look, reading secondary sources and primary sources. I, I try not, I initially try uh, understanding um, the story and the subject, not by looking at visuals first, but really understanding um, from text who this what the subject is or what, who this person is. Yeah. And then um, that shapes, that approach shapes kind of the idea of uh, how this film will be developed or the story will will develop. I mean, in an hour and a half, two hours, what can you tell? You can't tell everything, uh, but you can tell that which you feel is core to understanding who she is. Because I feel for me, that was very important. In this short time I had, what is the most important thing about her in terms of, public. So then once I, we, I shaped the idea of what the story would be, I I then, and the team said, what exi- what materials exist visually on her? Because she's lived this wonderful, lived this long, distinguished life. There might be footage. And sure enough, we found footage of her in her 40s, and her 50s, and her 60s. And that shaped what we needed to film and what we might instead use from the past. And so... It was really interesting to see how she spoke in the past. Uh, I love that in the earlier period, especially as a professor, you know, she's very unfiltered and she's spontaneous and she's spontaneous. When you see her meet the children, meet the students, when she goes to her junior, her high, her elementary school, there's something real that she could be this natural person in a way that seemed more restrained as she got into her years, into the Supreme Court, into her 20th year and onward. So after seeing all this footage, and there were hundreds and hundreds of hours that we found existed, after looking at all this material, both visual and intellectual, so to speak, then that was the decision. I loved how spontaneous, how different she spoke and met people than when she, in her mid 80s, you know, um, it was a little different, the tone and spontaneity. And so that that shaped the decision to let, to have her spe- her own words shape the ideas and the themes of the film as opposed to an academic or, you know, what it was, as an example, how I, I felt that in order to understand here, one had to particularly understand the importance of the Supreme Court cases he argued in the 70s That was core, I felt, to her uh, being um, singled out as more than just the usual brilliant attorney or judge or justice. She had lived this full life of both being a professor and being uh, a litigator. But that, that those six cases she argued before the Supreme Court uh, when she was working for the Women's Rights Project at the ACLU very much has distinguished her as this pioneer in the area of gender laws and gender discrimination laws. And I believe that's what uh, convinced her work then, I believe, convinced. President Clinton, that she was the one, because as you may know, she was not on the short list among those he was uh, considering. But apparently with her incredible, wonderful husband, Marty, who was an informal you know uh, quarterback and, and, and campaign manager, she got on the short list. And once he met her, you know and she's brilliant and charming and you know, with all those human qualities that, as you know, in his speech, he singled out those cases that she argued, six cases before the U.S. Supreme Court and won five. So that she did in, in you know, pioneering work in, in gender laws. Otherwise, if she hadn't done that, then she would be among many, many brilliant, I think, attorneys or judges. This, this made the big difference. And I think maybe they made the difference when uh, President Carter in 1980 and right before um, said, you know, Most of the federal judges look like me. They're white and male. And so he made a a significant decision to appoint others, not only women, but also people of color. Uh, And so I think her background, her background leading up to 1980 when she was nominated for the uh, US Court of Appeals, um, her track record, and certainly as a distinguished professor in the 70s, made a difference. There's a couple of things I didn't get into the film because you can't put everything into the film. You know Um, what stands out to me is the rigor of her work. You know, she just quietly did so much, you know, not only the, you know, 400 plus opinions that she has written both consenting and and dissenting. Uh, But separate from that, uh, she, before in her thirties, she had the chance to uh, study civil procedure in Sweden. And so before she took on the job of working at Rutgers Law School as a professor in, in Columbia, she had the opportunity to, to help to research and write the one of the definitive books on Swedish civil procedure. And so she learned Swedish, the language. Oh, wow. I mean, wow. She learned Swedish. I mean, and then she went to Sweden, um, spent several months over time, And she brought her six-year-old daughter at the time, Jane Ginsburg, who is now a professor at Columbia. But she not only published this book, uh, but also she saw Sweden as a a society, sort of very progressive in terms of gender issues. Um, She saw women uh, working and a, a judge, a woman judge who was eight months pregnant, you know, and that you can work and be a
0: all wow. those things, you
2: know. And they say that had a, a really impact on her of what could be in a society that was probably 25 years ahead of us at that time, you know. Yeah. So she wrote that book and I later realized too that, that she's beloved in that country. She was given an honorary doctorate for what she did. And wow. Anyway, it, it, as I said, that her work ethic, you know, rigor is just incredible in terms of the other things she did besides that. And also... Out of the um, work she did in the 70s in gender law and discrimination, she co-authored uh, the first case law study on uh, sexual discrimination laws. It's a gigantic book. You know, and when I was doing the research, I said, oh, I, I want to make sure I look at that book, you know. And it was a special, <laughs> a special book in the UCLA library. So I, I had my you know, had, had a friend who was a professor's check it out, but it's only, you know, it was carefully yeah, you could only check it out for a certain a short time. I, I can see it was a very special book and it was big, you know, <laughs> book. That she did before she went to um, yeah, before she became an appellate judge. And and that, you know, one doesn't read about that, you know, definitively in her biography. It's yeah. man, but it's uh, I I just would feel that she's remarkable. In terms of um, being a role model, as we've heard, beyond just being a a great judge and justice and advocate, but just um, as a person who who really takes her gifts and, and does the best she can, you know.
0: It really seems like you've highlighted a lot of strong women kind of in your biographical documentaries. You know, what has led you to have kind of this focus on on women or women like Justice Ginsburg, who have done so much for the progress, the general progress of women? Well, I don't think I set
2: out, you know, usually it's uh, when I I guess among the first of these, there are three or four so far. There's Maya Lin, who is well known for first uh, designing the Vietnam Veterans Memorial, which did so much for our country, too. Heal from that bore, um, and um, usually it's the work. It's not. They happen to be women, but I. I mean, it's not always women. But and then Anita's story, you know. Uh, this struck me, you know, it was the twentieth anniversary is coming up and it's like what happened? What happened in during that time, you know? But usually it's the work that strikes me or something very it's usually the work, it's not necessarily biographical, but the biographical, the background, how they were raised, I look at it in terms of how that impacted what they do publicly or as a professional. Because they're all these wonderfully gifted architects and gifted, you know, att- women attorneys, but so- they all have something that seemed to be there was a crossroads in their life that made them reluctant public figures, I think. I think Amaya a- didn't set out to be this controversial figure designing a, a memorial for veterans, you know. She just wanted to, dis- she just entered a contest, you know. But so what usually attracts me is perhaps it's an idea. It usually has a sort of a social political um, context to it, that usually sparks my interest. And then um, it's the work. And it turned out, if I look back in the last 20 plus years of work, they're they're women, but they're actually the men too. I mean, I-
0: One thing that I, I think a lot of people hope to be seen that way, just as an individual for your contributions, for the work that you've done. And then, you know, some of them happen to be women. And I think that's such a powerful statement that you see them for who they are as a person first. And then you know it, it just happens to to be an incredible persis, person, like Justice Ginsburg. Yes. So. so well, I'm lucky in the case of Justice
2: Ginsburg because you know Gerilyn and Regina asked if I would be interested, and I'm, um, but uh, maybe it's because too the they actually both supported the Anita Hill film, and um, I think women there's a group of women out there who particularly love <laughs> supporting uh, stories of uh, women who have not been, you know necessarily the focus for a lot of stories, you know? And and maybe that's what attracts me, is that the ideas are fresh. The, the individuals haven't been um, explored, you know?
1: Yeah, I love throughout the film, that reminded me of a, a theme that I saw of Justice Ginsburg talking about this similar principle of judging people based on their merits and not on anything else, not on their sex, their race, um, any other stereotypes or assumptions that we make about people. And um, I was thinking about how Justice Ginsburg has become really popular recently among younger generations who probably didn't see her career unfolding as it was happening, but and now she's such an icon for the women's movement. Why do you think that is? Well, I
2: think we celebrate cool, wonderful, <laughs> sort of selfless, you know, generous-spirited people. And she's definitely that, you know. You don't feel there's a it's a strong sense of who she is. But it's not necessarily narcissistic or egotistical, but strong. And I think women and young women and, and men who are, are free to be uh, who they are, uh, when they discover what she's what she did and fought for, uh, in those cases, really, her, it was her belief that exactly as you described, it's that we sh- we should be free to be who we can be you know, to our best abilities. That means men if they want to stay home and take care of uh, a newborn baby, why not? You know, if you want to be a fighter pilot as a woman, if you want to be a chef as a man, you know, a ballet a ballet artist. It's whatever elicits your 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 strongest, most passionate parts. We, I think we appreciate that uh, she stood for that idea. And I find that uh, because of her passing, you know, I, you tend to reflect in a way maybe you hadn't before. And uh, I, I find it's profound that she deeply, deeply being a justice and a judge believed in that U.S. Constitution, that just two ideas that uh, the preamble in order to, to perfect a moral Perfect union. She believed in that idea that we can, we are aspirational. And she's seen how historically our country has been much more perfect. You know, there's more to go. But as, as long as we keep that idea coupled with the other almost existential belief that she had, which is the equality, um, equal justice for all, you know, that which is emblazoned on the Supreme Court, equality under the law you think about that it means respect and dignity for everyone so Mm -hmm. being a justice and a judge you have the 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 privilege to make that to make that um happen in your interpretations so she's iconic i think because well you it's just it's so cool how she's been embraced and yeah
1: can you talk a little bit about how she broke down equal rights barriers I think one part that I found so interesting in the film is how you highlighted, I thought it was brilliant how she made men the plaintiffs. Can you talk about that a little bit?
2: Yes. And I, I think that she's facing, um, she's arguing before the nine U.S. Supreme Court justices, all of who are men. And somehow she delighted when the plaintiff was a man because it made it easier for her to just the way we are as humans, they can relate to this man. And then to see, well, he wants to stay home in the case of Weisenfeld, you know, who in applying for social security benefits for the widow, he believed that he found out, no, you know, that no social security benefits are only for women. Therefore the wife or the mother, in this case, she was gone. So it was a pretty dramatic factual case to say to the judges, the justices, this man is being unfairly treated by the law. So uh, the, the male plaintiffs just made it, it was a way to go in to present a story, I think, to these male justices who would then perhaps not come with the biases they may have had if it were a woman. Um, so there were several of the six cases she argued, like the one, the, the the beer, the beer case. You know, the plaintiffs were these college boys who said, "You can't drink beer, three point two whatever ounces, more until you're 21." But girls can start drinking at age 18. That, on the face of it, sounds unequal, but you had to argue that unequal statute. So yes, so those were favorite favorite ways to. Um, make it easier to show the discrimination. Not easier, but it it, it was novel, a bit, but they, it worked.
1: Yeah. I'd love to hear about your experience as a woman in the film industry. Have you had to face any similar
2: obstacles like Justice Ginsburg? Um, when I started, um, I think, well, I was hired by a woman, for one, in a, a, a production company. Well, she was the head of research, and they needed a, res- a research. And then men, boys were also hired in the same thing. But I wasn't aware of, of, if anything, <laughs> I was aware of sexist comments, you know, crazy comments, you know, harassment comments. That's just the way it was, you know, 30 years ago, you know. But um, I don't feel I personally experienced overt problems. Yeah, you know, I didn't. Uh, I mean, I had the classic... Guys running you around the desk, kind of experience, you know. <laughs> but that's just the annoying aspect of, of life, you know, in the workplace. As Anita Hill said, um, before 91, when finally the issue of sexual harassment came into the public square, so to speak, and actually was, was articulated, you know, people didn't even say that word, that it was, that's just going to work, that people just expected to be, you know. That's, uh, well, I know. So you, young women, get a chance to see how the pioneers like Anita Hill and Justice Ginsburg have helped pave the way. Hopefully, to make it a little easier for you. Yes. Yeah. Although I, I find, you know, despite in the case of Anita and sexual harassment, I, I was surprised 20 years later when they had a the 20th anniversary, a young woman stood up in tears, practically in tears, saying, "How, how do you deal with?" In other words, she, in the recent past, was experiencing this kind of harassment. And she was, how how do you deal with that? Because, you know, young people, it does, we know that, you know, the hashtag movement exposed that vividly. Um, So it it is still there. And I think banding together as you both and your partners bringing out these stories is really helpful to empower all of us and to know that we're not alone. I think that's really important.
0: Yeah, well, a couple last questions that we have. So one of them, um, you know, we want to know what is something that all of this work that you said, you know, hundreds of hours of footage that you sifted through, lots of people that you worked with, what is something that you truly hope the audience takes away like a main point that they take away from this documentary about her life
2: well well first of all we shaped the films using animation and illustrations by this wonderful artist jason carpenter to talk about the constitutional cases as a way because they're complex kind of if you look in totality but somehow uh i I, I was really happy because our target audience is not just a general public but is actually zenzers and teenagers and I hope, I think they really made an impact using that approach so that, you know, animation and it's like graphic novel, that uh, they could see how these constitutional cases actually impact their lives. They deal with pay, you know, equity for women, like the Lily Ledbetter case or the, the constitutional questions that our justices deal with, deal with your everyday life, you know, whether wages or education or health care. Uh, serving in the uh, in the army if you're LGBTQ, all of these. So what I hope that the audience takes away from, especially young people, uh, is that they will see how the courts, especially the federal courts and the U.S. Supreme Court, has an impact on their lives, and that they will be attentive as people and the citizens, and and be at, be vote and knowing that their vote makes a difference on who they. Who ends up on their courts because they're appointed by the by the by the president in terms of those federal positions you know so that's what I really hope that that they'll be really love learning about the 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 you know paying attention to, to the in this case the nine justices and what happens and being good yeah. citizens out of that yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, can we just ask one more question? Thank you so much. Okay. This has been a pleasure. Um, I'm curious because a lot of our audience is young girls, young teenage yeah. girls. What would you recommend that they watch? You've mentioned some of your previous documentaries. What other good resources are there for them?
2: Well, I think your Utah Film Center um, is a great source for films. And programming, and it turns out Ruth is going to run there. Um, on, That's great. On um, March fifteenth, there's just the, the day and a half uh, on that time frame, and then they're, they're doing q and A, Q&A, a Zoom Q and A with me afterwards on cool. Tuesday, March fifteenth. Is would have been um, uh, Justice Ginsburg's eighty eighth birthday, so it's a great way to uh, celebrate her. Um, so in terms of finding the actual films, let's say for young women, um, I yeah you know, not only mine but there's so many others. Uh, I think if you had Googled uh, "women empowerment films," you know they would pop up. But there's so many right now. And I actually the ones I've done. I think they should see Maya Lin. Uh, she looks 12 in the film. I filmed her when she was you know she won that big contest when she was 21, and she was an undergraduate student at Yale, and it was a blind competition. The biggest Design competition in American history, and uh, I think she won only because they didn't put her name down. They, she wasn't with a big law, for, uh, a, a big architectural firm. Um, but it's inspiring because of what you can do if you said, "I think I'm going to enter this contest," you know, with no, no track record, you know. But she's, uh, but she looks their age. She looks twelve, you know, fourteen in the film. Okay, um, and. I know that's been shown in, I meet people who, were, I saw that when I was in, you know, junior high, you know, people, they're, they're grownups now, but it's been used in schools, it's like 20, it won the big award, and so that's, it's had some attention to it. But she's great, and she's, it's, and she faced a lot of things, she's Asian, so, you know, she got called things, and then she overcame it in her own way. You know. um, but Anita, I mean, I, I'm not going to top my films, but they are I, I, but Anita is really important, I think, for women, you know, going into the workplace just to think about those issues and then to perhaps engage with their friends. You know, so many uh, of the success of the hashtag Me Too movement is because um, young women and are, are, being, are telling their story and partly they have a solidarity, they have, um, you know, strength in numbers that now they've, because of the, of the social media, they can t- find like-minded people and not feel alone. It's very important, I think, for young people to, if that's a suggestion, is to make sure you have this community that supports you. And that's really, you know, to to bring out the best in all of us. It's it's me. So, I mean, just like what you three are doing, I think, is impressive. So thank you.
1: Well, Frida, thank you so much for your time and for the work that you're doing to share these important stories. It's been such a pleasure learning with you. Okay. So nice Thank to you meet so you. Much. Yeah, good to Bye. meet Thanks. you. Ruth is currently playing in virtual cinemas and it will be released to video on demand on Amazon, iTunes, Hulu, etc. on March 9th. So definitely make sure to check it out and we'll be sharing more stories and inspiring interviews like this in our next podcast episode. So make sure to subscribe
0: if you haven't already.